Welcome to the Born Unbreakable Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. From lost trauma, disappointments, and devastation to healing hope and betterment, what has grounded me is my unbreakable spirit. We all have that spirit within us. Every week, I'm here to inspire you with stories of perseverance and growth. My mission is to help you crush self-limiting beliefs and to be unapologetically you. You are your only limit, so take action today. Let your unbreakable ride begin now. This episode is brought to you by Blue Skies Life, a lifestyle brand with high quality, ethical, and sustainable products. There are products for your mind, body, and home, everything from calming tea and luxurious shea butter to Turkish towels and silk kimonos. The holiday season is upon us, so start getting these one-of-a-kind gifts now. Go to blueskieslife.com, that's B-L-U-S-K-Y-S, life.com and use code BU20 to get 20% off your order today. Welcome everyone back to the Born Unbreakable podcast. Hopefully you've been on this journey with me for the last episodes. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. I'm very excited about today's guest, Leah Forney, who is a seven-time author. We'll spend some time talking about writing and Leah's books. She's also an audience attraction coach and a transformative speaker. She is also a host of her own podcast called Hey Queen Thrive. So you'll have to look that up wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple or some other platform. She is on the other side of the coast. So she is in. she was born in Queens, New York, live in Maryland. So you've been a little bit all over the East Coast there. And it's exciting because Leah's background uh, is going to unlock a lot for us today. She's actually been featured in 47 and counting different media publications. So she's got a lot to offer. So Leah, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Coach Des. Oh, it's we're going to have such an enriching conversation. And I think the most important place for us to start is your story. So as I mentioned, you've authored books and we see Leah today as yeah. a coach, as the person who's inspiring other people. But you've gone through your own journey of tragedy and having defining moments and experiences yeah. that have led you to this place. So maybe you can take us back. Yeah. So my story starts as being the daughter of two addicts. Um, My mother was a drug addict since I was two years old. My dad, an alcoholic in and out of prison since I was nine. Um, So I grew up different. I grew up feeling different. I grew up um, just being different amongst my friends. A lot of my friends came from two parent households and I was being raised by grandma, grandpa and my aunt. So immediately I was like the, a green thumb. I stood out, right? Mm-hmm. It was just like, mm, why did you have to be the different one? So I struggled a lot being different. I had a lot of anger as a kid because I just wanted to know why I couldn't have my mom and dad and why I had to be like everybody, couldn't be like everybody else. I had to be the, the different one. So starting young, I lashed out a lot. I lashed out a lot. And I remember my grandmother, her biggest fear was if my anger got the best of me, I was either going to end up dead or in jail Um, because I was always getting into fights. I was always just going down the wrong path. And then I fell in love with writing. I was in English class as a kid. Something about writing just set right with me. So I would walk around with a notebook and a pen as a young kid. Um, My grandmother always tells me how she has memories of me sitting in the corner with a notebook and pen, just writing something. She never knew what I was writing, but I always seemed like I was at calm and at peace writing. So (laughs) writing was my outlet. I stopped, I I learned to channel those emotions by putting it on paper. So whether it was poetry I was writing, song lyrics I was writing, a letter to God I was writing, I just was always writing. 
I don't think I ever thought about becoming an author, to be honest. I think writing for me was just very therapeutic. It was a way to process what I was feeling. Um, and and you can imagine the, the struggles as a young woman not having her mother there to guide her through this thing called womanhood, right? Mm -hmm. I had my grandmother, I had my aunt, but you know, they had their own struggles. You know, my grandmother was frustrated with having to raise her kids' kids. <laughs> you know, my yeah. aunt, she was frustrated with, you know, her sister not being there for her children. So they did the best that they could, but I still felt like I needed the tools. I needed to know what it was like to be a woman. So I started looking for love in all the wrong places. So young girl, teenage years, very promiscuous, um, out there, you know, trying to find my daddy and other men sleeping mm -hmm. around, um, just wanting to be loved, wanting to feel like somebody cared about me. Uh, and so that was the beginning of my journey. And then probably you fast forward to, I want to say my twenties, I had just came out of a domestic violence relationship. I had met this guy who, we had, the biggest thing we had in common was both our parents were addicts. Talk about codependency. Wow. <laughs> that was the intense, thing. Leah. Yeah, that was the thing that we had in common. And so we got together at the age of 19, 20 years old. I thought I was madly in love until he started hitting me, until he started cheating on me, until he started bringing me home STDs and all these things. And I remember by this time, my grandmother had did her best to raise us up in the church. So by the time I got into this abusive relationship, my grandmother had said, okay, he now has to become your God. I can't, I can't keep forcing you guys to come to church. You got to know God for yourself. So I remember the last time that ex of mine hit me. I remember how drunk he was. And I remember barricading myself into our bedroom in the apartment. And I just cried. And I said, God, if you get me up out of here. I promise you that every day going forth, I will do something with my life. I will impact people if you just get me up out of here. The very next day, he wakes up and he says, get out. And I knew then, like, Exit. God had heard Exit me. Strategy. <laughs> yeah, like, I knew then that God had heard me. Cause I didn't know if he hurt me in the moment. Cause I hadn't like once my grandmother told me, Oh, you, you know, I'm not forcing you to go to church. I listen, I did what most teenagers did. I lived my life. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first time I knew God actually heard me, but then I knew he was real in that moment. And so I remember getting my stuff. I moved back home to my grandmother's house. And that was the moment from then I was like, okay, God, I'm just going to serve you. And so I started developing my relationship with him. And then fast forward 2016 is when he says, it's time for you to write your book. And I'm like, excuse me, come again. Right. <laughs> like me write a book. Like it never, never fathomed that I would ever write a book. And so April 1st, 2017. Right. And April 1st, 2017, I released my very first book, Unapologetically Me. And my message is to be unapologetically you. What are the odds of that? <laughs> of my message and your first book having that much of tremendous alignment. That's incredible. And, you know, I'm listening to your story. And one of the things that comes to my mind is your relationship with love. Mm -hmm. And I, I want listeners to really hear this because everyone has a different journey growing yeah. up, how you receive love in your household and how you receive it from others and therefore how you perceive it. Yeah. And you had such an interesting experience of that, both from a parental perspective, your grandparents, having somebody show through physical actions mm -hmm. what somebody might say but he loves me. And, and we hear those stories and we hear, uh, you know, there's, there's so many things out there. How did, how was it for you to transform your relationship with loving yourself and how you see love given the experience that you went through? Long time to get there. 
I'll be honest, it took a very long time to get there because um, I didn't love myself. You know, not having my parents around, especially not having my father around to validate, to really say to me, hey, you're beautiful. This is what you look for in a, a man. This is the type of person. You, like, I, I didn't have that. So for me, I didn't know what love was. You know, my grandfather, he was around. But he was also caught up in addiction. So, you know, he was there, but he wasn't there. And so by the time I was about 11, 12 years old, my grandmother made the decision to divorce him. So then he was gone too. So love for me for a long time was equal to abandonment. I automatically equated that the people in my life that said I love you was going to leave. And it was a fear that I had for a very long time because I was afraid to get close to people. I was afraid to let people in because my fear was if I let you in and you say those words, I love you, you're going to leave because every person has said it prior to did that. I will say where it changed for me was 2016, right around the same time I was writing my book, I met a great guy named Joseph. And he, I tell people all the time, he was the guy that I believe God sent to me to show me that I was worthy of being loved. I mean, absolutely amazing man showed me exactly what unconditional love was like. But he was also that first relationship that really showed me how much I had abandonment issues because the simplest argument triggered, like I would immediately be like, oh my God, he's leaving me. And so I had to learn one, how to be vulnerable, but then also two, how to communicate that fear of abandonment. And so when I would do that, one of the things he would say is like, I'm not leaving you. I'm leaving this argument, which would help me kind of like de- decrease that anxiety of, oh my God, he's about to walk out on me because we had an argument. But I, I, for years, love was abandonment for me. Love was mm-hmm. people walking out on me. That is, and that's terrifying, right? Like living in that space of feeling unsafe almost keeps you from being at your most vulnerable because it's usually in our greatest vulnerability that when you're, when you're emotionally naked is when other people can interpret that and make decisions around, oh, wow, that's a lot. I don't know if I can handle this or that. And, and then there's the worry of even if it's a friend, I mean, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It could be even a friendship or people that are in your life for mentorship reasons. So being able to work through that is is a pretty remarkable. And, you know, in one of the books that you have, you know, you, you talk about healing. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important process for anyone who's listening that has gone through any of the kinds of things that you're describing, whether it's growing up around addiction or having experiences of abandonment, what was the journey like for you to heal. You talked about God. You talked about building yeah. a relationship with God. What are the other things that you've introduced to your life to go through the healing process? Yeah, therapy. Therapy is so big for me. Um, actually, my own journey or my own family dysfunction is what led me down the path to getting in the mental health field. And it's funny because when I started in the field nine years ago, I told myself, oh, I'm going to learn everything I need to learn to fix my dysfunctional family. That was that was the reason why I wanted to be in mental health. That's why I wanted to become a therapist. And it wasn't until I was taking classes and I was in grad school and my professor was like, that is not your job as a therapist. It is not to fix anybody. It is to help people reach their goals. And so one of my professors, Dr. Armstrong, always said, it's your client's life anyway. And she was like, when you remember that, when you understand that people know exactly where they want to end up, like it removes you from trying to fix it. Cause all my life I was a fixer all my life. It was like, how do I fix this? How do I fix my parents' addiction? How do I, what do I need to do to fix it? You're walking around with a first aid kit. Like, let me give you a Band-Aid. Let me stitch that up. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, literally. And when I realized that that's not my job, it's not to fix it, um, it it really relieved me of the pressure of feeling like I got to fix it. So what therapy did for me 
was really helped me to unpack those abandonment issues, unpack my feelings around my mother and around my father. And I'll tell you what was beautiful about going through, and I still am in therapy to this day, was that I learned to see my parents differently. I think as a child, we oftentimes kind of put our our parents on a pedestal. We look at them like this, they're these superheroes and they can never make any mistakes, right? In my eyes, my parents could never make any mistakes. What therapy helped me to see was the human side to my parents and that the decisions in the past that they chose to take was because of their own inadequacies and their own incapabilities. And learning that helped me to see just how much my parents did love me. Because you got to love a child enough to know when you can't do it, so you place them in the hands of somebody that can do it. To me, that's the ultimate sacrifice of a parent, right? I can't even imagine what my mom was going through, you know, having to make the decision to give up her children. I can't even imagine, you know, but recognizing her own incapabilities. And so therapy helped me to see my mother and my father as the man and woman that they are. Not my parents, Mm -hmm. but the man and woman they are. Because when I got to see them that way, then I started to see them as, wow, this is another woman trying to navigate this thing called life with very little skills, very little tools. This is another man trying to navigate this thing called life with, with very little tools. And so that was that alone helped me to be able to forgive them for not being there, for not raising me, because I saw them not as my parents, but as human beings trying to navigate this thing called life. And the reality is that people do the best they can with what they have at the time. Unfortunately, like you said, people are not always equipped to do too much. And that can only take you so far. And, And you've been able to make those assessments. And it isn't easy to get to a place of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. But I think when people go through the process and realize forgiveness is, is, is really for yourself. Yeah. It's to surrender, Mm -hmm. not to carry this weight that's weighing you down like a ton of bricks. And so that had to be very freeing. Absolutely. I think people don't don't recognize that forgiveness is acceptance. It's accepting the reality of what it is, right? So the reality is I am the daughter of two addicts. That's my reality. But there's nothing I can do about that, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can have said or done to change that, you know? And I truly believe that the, that's probably why I am who I am today, because God knew that that piece was going to be the catalyst for other things in my life, mm-hmm. right? And so forgiveness is is really coming to a place of acceptance and recognizing that, you know what, there are some things in my life that, yeah, sucked, for lack of a better word, right? We all have it, right? <laughs> right? But it, 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 it's not that I had control over that. You know, I, I didn't have the control over my parents making that decision. You know, that was their own issues and their own demons. I think the the biggest freeing thing for me outside of forgiveness with my therapy was coming to the realization that I don't have to carry other people's stuff. Cause for a long time I was carrying the burden of my parents' stuff. Right. That was their stuff. That addiction was (laughs) theirs. And so imagine being a child, you're trying to navigate this life just as a child. Now I got to take on your stuff too. That's, that became too heavy. Yeah, that's not your burden to bear. But it feels, it can feel, and I think many people can relate to it feeling like you have a responsibility because it's, well, it's your family. It's yeah. your, they're connected to you. Yeah. Somehow there's something you could do something about. And um, I, I want to acknowledge the effort that it takes to go inward and to do therapy because oftentimes therapy gets a, a knock of, oh, you know, you can figure things out on your own. Why would yeah. you do that? And um, it's, it's difficult to make those decisions, but it's in that understanding mm-hmm. how we truly grow. 
And I can completely relate to you on that. As a person who is empathic and feels everybody's energy and feels people's challenges and problems, there's, uh, I had to really study boundaries. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, once you cross the chasm into the boundary of someone else's stuff and you carry it, I had to actually, for myself, start writing things down to remind me every day, like on a post-it. And yeah. and for the longest time, I had one that said, you're not responsible for other people's happiness or mm. their well-being. I mean, you're to be there to, to be there to support is different than to own. And I had, yes. to, I had to learn the difference. Um, and I, I honestly, I still feel like I am learning because there's yeah. times when I might be crossing the boundary. But when you recognize it, you could check yourself and adopt, you know, different behavior. Um, but I want to come back to your books. So you talked about it being 2017, April, writing mm-hmm. your first book. Um, and there's two dimensions of it. One, I think it is the catharsis and that mm-hmm. therapeutic process for yourself, but what was your goal in bringing your stories to the world and to other people? You know, it's so funny. I don't even think I had a goal. Like, (laughs) honestly, I think I, in my mind, I was like one and done. I think writing a book for me was like a bucket list thing. It was like, all right, I'm going to call myself a published author. Check. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I tell people all the time, what I have learned about God is there's no such thing as one and done with him. (laughs) Like if he gives you an idea or vision, trust me, there's more, there's other layers. There's other things you have to do with that vision. And so For me, the first book was just telling the story of my tumultuous relationship with my mom, you know, and this this struggle because I was in a very deep internal struggle with loving her and hating her at the same time. And I didn't realize how deep that struggle was until I had moved out of New York. I was living in North Carolina for a while and I get a phone call and it's a hospital in New York and they're like, listen, you need to come get your mom. Cause if you don't come get her, she's going to be dead. Like literally this is the conversation. So the little girl in me, is like, Oh my God, I got to go save my mom. Right? Like, this is what I have to go do. So I immediately, I was, I prayed. I said, God, listen, if it's your will, you will make the provision. You will, you will make sure I have everything I need to get up there within 24 to 48 hours. Everything I needed showed up. Ticket. So I was like, okay, God, this is what you want me to do. I get up there. I go get my mom. She was in such, such horrible shape, horrible shape. And I remember her, we're driving back and she's sleeping in my car and I'm just praying and crying, praying and crying. I'm like, God, I don't know. Like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Like, uh, this is my mom, but I also don't want to deal with this because I have this new life in North Carolina. Like, this is a big inconvenience. And I tell you, God does so many amazing things and inconveniences. That's the lesson I learned in that season of my life. But when I got her to me, what God showed me in that season of my life, it was like a mirroring effect. He wanted me to see what my life could become if I don't deal with my issues. So being around my mom for that whole year, as challenging as it was, God was like, yeah, but you, if you don't get you together, if you don't heal, if you don't do what you need to do to be a better person, you can easily become her. Right. But it was also the place that the forgiveness really did start because I finally was able to ask my mom, why? Why did you become an addict? Like, what was your story? What led you there? And it was in that moment that she had revealed to me that she was molested. When she revealed that to me, I said, well, mom, I was raped too. And this was probably maybe two years post my rape. And she just got so emotional and cried. And she said, I never wanted this for my children, like, especially my daughters. Like, I just wanted to be able to protect you. And I said, well, mom, how can you protect me when nobody was there to protect you? Wow. You had that in common. And it took your courage to, because I, I, I want to acknowledge the challenge between resentment mm-hmm that we experience, especially when it's people the closest to us. Yeah. There's just things that we're pissed about. Mm-hmm. Where's the threat? Like, why? This is so frustrating. But like you said, love. 
at the same yeah. time. And you actually got to that place where you were able to ask the questions you needed to, but it, 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 it ended up bringing you closer. I mm -hmm. mean, it's not something you want to have in common, yeah. but you did. Yeah, it definitely brought us closer. And even after that, you know, she did continue to go back down that path of addiction. But I think in that year that she was with me, God wanted me to have that moment. He wanted me to hear why. And that was the moment that freed me as a child, because I think as a child for a very long time, I blamed myself mm -hmm. for my parents not being around. It had that was the story I told myself. Oh, I had to have done something wrong because my parents are not here and they didn't want me. Like that was the story I told myself as a little girl. So to hear from her why was God's way of like, all right, now I'm removing that burden. Now you know it had nothing to do with you. <laughs> this was the reason why. And so for years, she continued down the path of addiction for years in and out of hospitals, in and out of rehab. Um, even up until just last year, she was, that was what her life has been. And I'll tell you the hardest part in my relationship with my mom was learning to set boundaries, <laughs> learning to get to that place of, I can't fix this. I can't want it more than you want it. And as much as I love you, I got to love me more. And I got to put that boundary in place. And I got to say, listen, you got to be your own advocate. You got to you gotta do this. This you got to do. Because for years, I was the person she called when she needed somebody to speak up for her. Mm -hmm. But when she was in the streets doing whatever she wanted to do, she wasn't calling me. She wasn't checking mm -hmm. with me. Birthdays came and went. Christmas came and went. She didn't care. But the minute she was, she felt the most weakest, then it was like, oh my God, I know who to call. And out of all her kids, she knew she could call me because my siblings had given up a long time ago. My aunt had given up a long time ago. My grandmother. Had, so I was the one. And so for me to get to the place of like, yeah, I can't, I can't do this no more, mom. Mm -hmm. That I know for her was like, whoa, like now I'm losing the one person that always had my back. But it was me having to draw that line in the sand and say, listen, you're going to be the death of me if I don't put no boundaries in place. Yes. And what is your relationship today? It's still estranged. Unfortunately, my mom's still out there, still on, still doing drugs. But, you know, I keep her in prayer daily, you know, but I continue to to live my life. You know, it, unfortunately, you know, even when my dad, he succumbed to his alcoholism, it took him out two years ago. And it, it was sad and it was unfortunate. But, you know, we are in my belief, we are all the sum total of our decisions. You know, my yeah. parents chose the life that they lived. And so I had to come to that place of acceptance because that was what it was. Like, this is their reality. This is my reality. But it doesn't have to be, their reality doesn't have to take over my life, right? Mm -hmm. I can have a life. And so this is why I created, wrote the books that I wrote and I, I'm doing the work that I do now because I, I wanted more for my life and wanted better for my life despite how I started. Mm-hmm. Leah, what would you tell somebody that is in that muck right now? Maybe mm -hmm. they have a family member, maybe maybe even more than one, that they love, yeah. that they want to be there for, but is struggling with how to be the right kind of support without taking on the responsibility of owning their life for them. Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is acknowledge it. Acknowledge that difficult space. You know, me coming to that realization and saying, you know what, God, I have this love-hate relationship with my parents. Like, I love them, but I hate them all at the same time was so freeing for me because I think for a very long time, I thought it was wrong to have that other feeling. Right. I thought it was wrong to, to like, hate. oh, that's such a strong word. Right. I thought that it was wrong to feel that way. But it wasn't until that book came out and so many women and men said, oh, my God, I, I know that feeling. Like, I've been there. I have that same internal battle. And I knew then that I wasn't alone, that it wasn't just me that was going through that internal struggle. Um, so I would say first acknowledge the internal struggle because it's a struggle. And know that it's okay. Like, it really is okay 
to place the boundaries to say, listen, I can't do this because it's going to be the death of me if I allow you to keep, you know, but taking over my life. Because essentially I was, I felt like I was living two lives. Like I was living me by day, but then I'm, I'm, I'm parenting my mother by night, you know, like yeah. you're my mom. You should be the one parenting me, not the other way around. Look at this role reversal. <laughs> Seriously. Going on here. Yeah. So that, that was the first thing I would say is just acknowledge it. Like and acknowledge that you are in an internal struggle and that it is okay. Um, and then, you know, I'm an avid journaler. I probably have way too many journals. Coach Des, I'll be honest with you. I probably have way too many. But write it out. Like, get your feelings out. Um, and write out what it is that you're experiencing and what it is that you're feeling, you know, because it one, it's just going to help you get it out and release it. But then be okay with not only setting the boundary, but standing firm on the boundary. As hard as it is. Because there were times where... I would be like, no, I'm not doing it. And then the, the little girl kicks in and she's like, oh, I want my mommy. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was hard. Normal. It's normal, right? Yeah. To, to go through that because there's there's imperfection in the process. Yeah. It's not black and white because feelings are not black and white, you know? Yeah. And that's why it's, you know, a lot of a, a ball of emotion can can happen. But I love the journaling that's big because sometimes yeah. we don't even give ourselves the space to process what's going on. When yeah. you just move on to the next thing and you don't even figure out how you're really feeling, that's when it, I think that buildup happens. Mm -hmm. And it's going to, you're going to explode, honestly. Like at some point, you know, my bishop, he would say, what's in you will come out of you. Right. <laughs> so at some point, it's going it, to, it's all it's going to take is the, the wrong, right moment or the wrong moment. And it's going to come out, you know, that's how I learned how deep my wounds were because it took the, me being in the wrong place and somebody saying something that just triggered me. Boom. Now we have an explosion, you know? And so it's going to come out eventually. That's mm -hmm. why I say journal process, yeah. you know, don't, cause we live in a culture that just says, all right, we move on to the next, but next. Yeah, no, right. Like it's okay to like press pause. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And check in with yourself emotionally mm -hmm. and then process that thing, you know, and be honest about, hey, you know what? That did hurt. And yeah. I don't like that. And I didn't like how that feels. Mm -hmm. And then you can move on. Yeah. And I, I'm realizing that more and more, too, that I'm fighting with myself of every day is a good day. But sometimes there's just something I see, something I watch, something I hear. And it takes me somewhere that isn't great. Yeah. And it's okay. And I'm, it's okay if I cry or I feel sad or less than great because life isn't normal to just be up here, level 10, you know, yeah. all the time. Sometimes you have to have the low to appreciate the high, you yeah. know, kind of the yin and, the yin and yang. But I'd love to also talk about your podcast too. So what inspired you to start <laughs> that? And because you cover a wide range of things yeah. and you, you too, you know, are recognizing a different place of womanhood um, and embracing, you know, what that looks like despite yeah. challenges that we all face. Yeah. You know, Hey Queen Thrive is so funny. So I got to a place in, in, in my entrepreneur journey that I knew I wanted to do something next. You know, four years later, people still know me as an author. I was like, okay, what else can people know me for? Like there's, there's other layers to me. And so I came up with podcasting because during the pandemic, that seemed like to be the, the hot topic. Like everybody was starting a podcast. Brilliant. <laughs> right. Like, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm home more now. Like this might be it, a podcast, but I could not figure out a name for the life of me. I promise you until I took a nap. Literally, that works. I went to sleep, and as I was sleeping, I heard in my in my subconscious, "Hey, Queen Thrive." And then when I woke up, I kept hearing it. And I'm naturally a person that keeps like a notebook or a pad, or a pad near my bed. So I'm like, "Hey, Queen Thrive." That works. So I'm like, 
And when I thought about the show, I really wanted to create a a platform for for women by a woman. You know, I wanted to create a platform where we just talk about the things that most people ain't talking about, the topics that most people are not talking about. You know, I wanted to shine a light on everyday women who have the highs and lows of entrepreneurship, the highs and lows of being a woman, the highs and lows of just living this life as a woman. And so that's where Hey Queen Thrive came from. It is not easy. It is not easy. I know that there are people listening right now going, thank goodness. Because we we need that space. And, and, you know, for the women and all actually for the men too that are listening, because you are part, if you're partnered, if you're raising daughters, if you're helping be a caretaker for, for nieces or other, other young ladies in your life, it's, the pressure is so real yes. because you're held to a certain standard, yes. you know, and then all of a sudden you get into the business setting, especially if you become an entrepreneur and there's so mm-hmm. many, people that, well, don't be too emotional. Oh, but then don't be too bossy. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, okay, well then what, what does success look like? You know, is it, a, is it okay to, to cry? Is it okay to show up and own it and be strong? Or is that, is that too masculine? Is that, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things um, women are answering and also being judged for. Mm-hmm. So that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. It, it's definitely, not easy being a woman. I tell people all the time, I think women make it look easy, but it's not, it is not easy. And my friends, my guy friends who have young girl daughters, they're like, the pressure. I'm like, what the pressure? They're like one or two. What are you going to do when you're in teenage years? And like, you know, and then it's like, then you throw in social media, right? And then it's like, you know, this makeup, this hair, this outfit, this, these likes and these comments. And it's all that, which, you know, me growing up, I didn't deal with that. I had a pager. (laughs) I I couldn't even call somebody until after school. If I wanted to, I had to sit for how many hours to even communicate back to anybody that did you want to go to the mall on the weekend or so, you know, whatever. Now it's Within yeah. a second, it's you're making plans, you're doing all this, you're getting feedback, you're complaining about love and even <sighs> faster and more frequently than what, you know, it's it's the same issues, it's yeah. the same challenges because through the decades and, you know, all the way through many, many hundreds of years, those things stay the same, but yeah. the tools, the resources, the the technology and all of that is totally different that creates this environment that is even more difficult than ever was before to process the things we process. So, yeah, social media for me added like this, this thing of comparison and competition. Like I tell people the spirit of comparison is real because you'll look at people's lives and like, you'll be like, oh my God, I want to be like that. I want that. Why can I have that? Right. And what I had to learn, cause I did it for a long time. I promise you. And I remember one time, and this is so funny, but I remember one time I was like idolizing somebody's relationship and I didn't even realize I was idolizing them, but I was just like, oh my God, they're so perfect. And, da, da, da. and I was like, God, why can't and he was like, who told you I put them together? Like, how are you going to assume <laughs> that mm-hmm. I'm responsible for that relationship? But what I had to learn was like social media, people are only going to show the highlights. It's the highlight reel. <laughs> yeah. Like they're it's only the going to show reel. the great things, you know, they're not going to be that transparent. You know, one of the things people love about me is my transparency. Cause I'm like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll tell the good, the bad, the ugly and the indifferent. Like I'm not going to sit here and be like, all my life is all glitter and rainbows. I'm going to be like, nope, I failed miserably the test the other day. Like, <laughs> I'm just not, that's just me. But I try to tell people like that comparison thing, ugh, it's so deadly. I'm saying that quote was one that I carried with me for so long. And I still revisit that Theodore Roosevelt. Comparison is the thief of joy. It really mm-hmm. is. It's just this thing that can be so vicious and malicious. Yeah. Like, you know, and if if you are going to do that, compare 
yourself to yourself. Yes. Who you were a year ago, who you were a week ago, who you were yesterday, because that's the person you're competing with, mm-hmm. becoming the better version of where you're able to, to grow and excel yeah. and expand. If you're going to do it, do it there. Yeah. Keep it right there. You know, that's, I mean, that's what I would say through the things that I agree and learned. But I would love to, for, for my listeners to be able to learn a little bit more about you. So mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to get your perspective on things. And okay. um, yeah, it's going to be good. So the first one is, what are three words that mm-hmm. best describe you? That is, hmm, I am goofy lay back and hmm what's my third word goofy lay back i would say outgoing i love it and i love that you said goofy because <laughs> it's one of those things you are sometimes we can take ourselves way too seriously yes. we need to just be playful have fun have some spontaneity laugh because when the pandemic started, we weren't laughing. Mm-mm. We were like, no. Yeah. We need to calm down with this pandemic. Yeah. There's way too much going on for the world. And we had to endure the psychological trauma, you know, oh, yeah. everything that came along with it. So if there's one word that anybody can start to maybe put into their ecosystem, I think Goofy is a good one. Listen, I love a good laugh. I really do. I find myself laughing every day. I even laugh at myself. Like I like you should laugh at yourself, right? Seriously, like if I make the most silliest mistakes, like I will bust out laughing and be like, you are hilarious. Like this is what I, because I'm learning to like, I think the pandemic, if it taught me anything, it taught me how serious pressure is. Right. Because even at the start of it, it was all this talk about, Oh, if you don't do anything, if you don't accomplish anything in this pandemic, you're lazy. You're not this. like, it was this pressure. It was a pressure to produce. It was like, you have to produce, you have to get stuff out. Right. And then I was like, you know, I can't, I can't like society pressures is enough. Like, I don't want to keep piling on pressure or feeling like I got to keep up with people. Yeah. So one of the things I told myself I was going to do in the pandemic was laugh. And so every day I'm either my friends were sending silly text messages, mm-hmm. I'm looking at something silly on TikTok. Like I'm going to bust out in full on laughter. Yes. And then it releases what people don't realize is laughter releases the good feel drug, right? The endorphins. <laughs> like just laugh. Laugh. Will, I always say my motto is I would rather laugh to keep from crying. Absolutely. I, I agree. And there, there is something to say that laughter is the best medicine mm-hmm. because it really is. And I'll, I'll find that too, especially on days if I'm feeling down and I just cried over something and I'm yeah. really emotional, shifting that energy, like watching something comedic, yeah. you know, getting into that different space, it totally changes everything. So I totally am in agreement with that. Okay. My next question for you is Leah. What is something that you're working on improving? Oh, so I can share my my latest win. So I have been a reactor my entire life. Mm. Like my entire life, I have been a reactor. My grandmother, she used to call me a drama queen. She she would always be like, you deserve an Oscar because I the littlest things would set me off. So over the last 30 days, I have been challenging myself to learn how to respond versus Mm. reacting. And I must say, I am doing very well because what I have learned is instead of like, I think again, in this world we live in, there's an instant thing, right? Like somebody says something to you mean on social media and you're instantly ready right. to like, like, like hold yeah. on. Right. I got something to say. <laughs> and I'm learning to just be like, yeah, no, I'm going to take, I'm going to press pause. I'm going to put that over there for a second. I'm going to process it. And then I'm going to come back and we can have a conversation in a more logical, healthy manner. And so that is what I've been working on improving is learning to respond versus reacting. That's big. Yes. That's a big 
thing. So kudos to you for working on that because I like to say, I've been trying to use this word to more of like a purposeful pause. Mm, Sometimes you, it does take some intentionality. It's mm-hmm. way easier for us to react than it is to respond because mm-hmm. you're, it's the immediate, it's, it's an immediacy, you know, it's like if someone hit your knee right now, it's going to, it's going to kick up. You would have to conscientiously tell yourself to leave it down in order for it to stay down. There's just certain reactions that our, our mind and our body yeah. are used to. So being intentional um, can be hard, but it can pay dividends when you, when you actually give yourself some patience and, yeah. and work on that. So that's a, yeah, that's a really good one. That's really good. Okay, what is a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome? Mm, I'm not good enough. The ultimate. Yeah, yeah. See, growing up without my parents, that's what I felt. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And so that trickled down in everything I did. And I felt like I had to either be the smartest, be the best. Like I had to overly compensate because I didn't feel like I was good enough. Mm-hmm. And so for a very long time, even throughout school, having to get the good grades, having to be top of my class, all these things trying to overcompensate this feeling of not being good enough. Um, mm-hmm. And then one day, got to credit my therapist. She was like, you know, I need you to start doing some positive affirmations. I need you to literally every day stand in the mirror and say to yourself all these positive things about yourself. And that was a challenge at first because one, I never liked looking in the mirror, but then two, I'm like positive things about myself. Like I don't know <laughs> what positive things about myself. Cause for a long time I equated who I was to what I did. I thought that was me. Like I have two degrees. I have this, I'm an entrepreneur. Like I could rattled off that, but I didn't know me outside of those things mm-hmm. right and so when I began to learn me outside of those things then I was it, it became easier to be like girl you're beautiful oh my god you're dope do you know that you like I could say those things now. yeah with confidence right because yeah. I didn't so that would be the one is learning that not only am I good enough but I'm more than enough yeah. like that was the one that I had to really work to undo yeah I, I think in some ways that the enoughness is ubiquitous. I, I think that there's so many moments in our lives as human beings, you know, going back to what you said about you learning to see your parents as human beings, that's how we have to, I think, think about ourselves and the people around us is human beings, error. We're, yeah. we're imperfect. That's how it is. We, we learn, we grow. We apply what we learn, hopefully, but we're still going to make mistakes. It's inevitable. And so recognizing that is, you know, an important part of the process. But that's, yeah, being enough. Oh, yeah. Okay. What about, what is one thing that you Mm want to see changed in the world? Mm, You know what? I would say what I'm passionate about today. So I... I didn't mention it, but I was, I'm a sexual assault survivor. I was raped eight years ago. And so my mission currently is I have taken on the task of becoming an advocate. And so I've been blessed to, to speak and train law enforcement. And I just recently did a conference with district attorneys just last week. Um, because for me, it's not enough to see a perpetrator go to jail. Like, okay, go do your time. But how do we make sure that we can take this out of the earth? I, I, I'm an auntie of soon to be 11, soon to be 11, because my baby boy should be here any day now. But like, I think about them. How do I leave this world better for my nieces and nephews mm-hmm. so that my nieces or my nephews, because it can happen to men too, right. don't ever have to experience that pain, that trauma. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing I want to see change in this earth is that we put it into sexual violence. Yeah. It's, and it's rampant. That's heartbreaking. You know, the fact that when you go into an airport bathroom and on the back of the bathroom, it's like, if you see this, call this number. I mean, Mm -hmm. it has to happen enough that somebody decided that that needed to be there. Right. And it's so, 
sad at, that it's happening around us and it could be r right there next to you and you're, mm -hmm. you're not n knowing that. I mean, having our awareness levels up, yeah, we can all play a role is, is how you put an end to something that is un unfortunately all over. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it. That is a big task. And it's a very important thing to continue striving for uh, because we don't want that, you know, for, for anybody, especially young people, because it does, it is tr very traumatizing. So it's, it's amazing that you have that uh, as a mission. Yeah. Um, okay. What is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given? Mm. <laughs> you know, I will have to, I have to say, um, most recently, the best piece of advice that I got was from another coach. Um, her name is Dr. Ali, Ali Griffith. And she would say, bet on your damn self. That was like, bet whatever you do in this life, make sure you bet on your damn self. That is Freaking good. <laughs> yep. So I that's the, the advice that rings in my ear every day when, when I'm strategizing in business or whatever is no matter what I do, bet on you. Because we show up for everybody else. We, we collapse for everybody else. We cheerlead everybody else. We will get behind everybody else's mission. But what about yours? Yeah. What about your dreams? What about your hopes? What is What about your goals? Uh -huh. When did you give that same energy? to yourself. Yeah. What would your life look like if you actually did that? If you actually did that, which speaking of coaching, we probably should spend a minute on telling people what does an audience attraction coach do? What are the kinds of things that you're working yeah. on? Yeah. So I work mainly with aspiring and new authors and the, how I got coined the audience attraction coach was um, I'm really good at helping people figure out their audience. I think even with me starting four years ago in as an author, I had no clue that the target audience and all that. I was like, what? What is that? Uh -huh. I don't know what that is. But over the years, I have learned the importance of knowing your audience. And what I had found was that I was getting connected with all these aspiring authors. And when I, when I would ask them two things, what's your book message and who you're trying to reach, they never knew. They were very, it was like, I don't know. Or they were extremely broad with it. So it was like women. Everyone. All right. women. Right. And it's like, right and now. It's like, um, <laughs> yeah, no, we got to specify that. So how I became the audience attraction coach, I did a uh, writer's conference in April and my class was on attracting the right audience and really teaching them how to come up with their avatar and really asking them, like I came up with a whole workbook. And I remember one of the ladies in my class was like a six figure entrepreneur. And she was like, I was back there doing it myself. Like, wait, let me make sure my avatar didn't change. And she was like, this is so good. Like, this is, this is what you need to be teaching. And so that's where the audience attraction came was but I teach people one, how to solidify your message, figure out, because I tell people every book has a message, every book has a theme, but then also let's figure out your audience so you can now reach them. So that's where it came that's from. That's huge. But I mean, for anybody who's out there, that's a, whether you're in, you know, it's, here's the thing too, whether you're an up and coming entrepreneur, which I think the pandemic has given us that beautiful yes. gift of so many people tapping into their talents, their gifts, their skills and abilities to put it out there in the world, or whether you're an entrepreneur that's in that space of continuing to reinvent, because maybe yeah. you're ready for the next chapter, the next level of service that you're going to bring, or the products that you're bringing to the market. There's always a little bit of this element of constant rechecking, mm -hmm. right? because maybe you're expanding in some kind of way and you have to see if your message still resonates. But the, the whole process of branding and getting clarity and having an avatar to know who it is you're speaking directly mm -hmm. to is so important um, because yeah. that's, that's how you reach the hearts and the minds of people who really need what you have to offer. Yeah. Because we all yeah. have something. Yeah, and it keeps you from 
spinning your wheels, right? Because mm -hmm. I think when we say, I say, this is what I teach my clients. Don't think of everyone, think of one. Who's the one person that needs what you have? Because then you can find multiple of that, right? Oh, God, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, just yesterday. There was somebody <laughs> right then. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's easier to take it right down to that yeah. versus just this big, crazy thing that is hard to, is way harder to, to do that than to think about that one person yeah. and fully embrace what that person's story is. Their name is, you know, I had to do that exercise too. Like their name is Destiny. They're 37 years old. Yes. They're struggling with X in their career. This is what there's going on in their love life. Here, mm -hmm. I mean, like to the point when you're like, Destiny, this message is for you. I mean, right, right. You know, but, but it, but it, it and it's hard because a lot of times, like again, with the social media and all that, there's all this noise. Mm hmm. So your message, it's it's very easy for it to get distracted and distorted. Yeah. With like, wait, what am I trying to do again? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, talking. that's what I teach my clients. I tell them, like, name your avatar. Like, I even have a picture. Like, I know my avatar's name is Journey. I know exactly what Journey looks like, what she makes, all of that. So I know what she needs. And mm -hmm. so I can, I supply the services that she needs. But I always challenge them. Stop thinking of a group of people. Think of one. Because yeah. when you figure out who the one is, then there's multiple of those, right, yeah. that you can reach. Oh, but that it's so beautiful. And I encourage, you know, uh, people to to reflect on those kinds of questions and recheck in on them because uh, it's also reinvigorating for yourself in okay. connecting back to your purpose. Yeah. Because we all have that. And that's what helps us to wake up in the morning is when you've got that clear purpose of what mm -hmm. you're here to do and the impact that you're striving to make yeah. your energy and your commitment is different when you have clarity. Absolutely agree. So that is, that is big. Okay. So of course the most important question is how can people connect with you? Where can they find you? How can they buy your books? Yeah. So all my books are on my website, which is www.leahmforney.com. Uh, I'm all over social media as Leah M. Forney. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Clubhouse. Listen, Clubhouse on Fridays, I have a, I'm, I'm doing a whole, a whole room on tips around writing books. So, like, yeah, find me on Clubhouse and join me oh, on Oh, I Friday. need to go to your room. <laughs> hey, hold on. Let's go back a minute. Let's push pause. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Yeah, I that's there. so cool. That's so cool. And um, I'll make sure that the show notes have how to reach you, where to find you, um, because, you know, people are more in that energy of sharing their stories. And I think writing is one of the most effective ways to do that, both for yourself mm -hmm. to have that as your legacy, like your nieces and yep. nephews can and can have that, you know. This was my aunt. This is who she was. This is what she stood for. And that, that just yeah. pays dividends, you know, over and over again in your legacy. So that's one of the beauties of, of writing, you know? Absolutely. It's like, hey, this is here to stay. Or, you mm -hmm. know, even listening to your podcast episodes, it's just continuing to make that mark. So um, very excited for people to be able to go to your website. Are there any events or things coming up that you want people to know about? You know, I'm wrapping, uh, I'm slowly winding down 2021. 2021 was amazing. I have to say I am doing right now, I'm gearing up for my last five week training um, of the year, which is all about um, pitching yourself for media uh, publications. I've been blessed to be featured <laughs> so many times um, on podcasts and, and even I've gotten brand partnerships. So I'm, I'm one of those coaches that love to teach people what I know, because I feel like if I could do it, you can do it too. It just Absolutely. takes that confidence to know that you can do it. And so that's starting October 14th and it'll run to like the first week in November. So I'm excited about that. And then, and then we need a break for the holidays. Yeah. I Listen, I'm going <laughs> on hiatus. Like my last episode of my podcast for season one, it wraps up November 18th. And then I'm literally going on hiatus till January and just spending the time to, cause I'm launching something big in 2022. So you got to follow Leah if you want to yes. know more about that. So you leave I us with a cliffhanger. Yeah. I got to spend time developing what I'm getting ready to launch. So yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited, Leah. This, I, I feel really invigorated from this and, and really just truly inspired by your story because you're really the epitome of, of showing what an unbreakable spirit is. And that's my goal of the show is being able to have that kind of encouragement because we, we've, we all have, have those low valleys. Yeah. And sometimes getting out of the valley of despair does not seem possible. It just seems so far from your current reality that you are just lucky if you can muster eating and waking up. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we've been through those moments. I mean, I've cried so much at times. I didn't think I'd have eyeballs in my face anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, is this even possible to produce these many tears? Yeah. Am I going to have to get surgery? I don't know. But, there, you know, I mean, there's, like, life is not always as marvelous as we want it to be. And I think being able to hear your story helps people to know because this is my message is that, you know, and, and Jack Canfield probably says it best, which is, Everything you want is on the other side of fear. Absolutely. And, but it's, you know, getting there is easier said than done, right? Like getting across that line to the other side of the things that we're afraid of often because of our own traumas Mm -hmm. um, that create all these limiting beliefs that we have to work to shatter. Yeah. So... I'm grateful for your time, all Thank the time you. that you've given today for this, this amazing conversation. And I'm excited to keep following you to see what's coming up in 2022. So Thank you. I'm going to have to send you a little holiday message so I uh, can uh, get some sneak previews or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we could, we could talk offline, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But thank you for your time today. You've been amazing. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Leah M. Forney. What an amazing conversation. I am so energized and so inspired from her story. And I hope that you are too. Two things that really struck me. And I hope that I can leave this with you to reflect on a little bit more today as you're tuning in to this episode, which I'm very grateful for. Number one boundaries. Leah and I were having a conversation after the show about how this is something that we've both had to work on. We both happen to be Aquariuses and happen to be people that are empathic and love very hard and want to please others. And while those are lovely traits in some ways to have, they can also feel like a double-edged sword because you can take on too much you can make other people's burdens your burdens. And I want to invite you today to think about your relationships and to think about where you may need to work a little bit harder on a boundary. Is there a relationship that is taking more from you than it's giving? that you might just need to consider the kind of boundary that you place to keep it in a space that is healthy for you and also for that person. Because I'll tell you from personal experience, I know in not setting boundaries, it wasn't serving that person either. They weren't going to learn what they needed to if I didn't take the initiative to place them where they needed to be placed. So that's number one. Number two, if you are someone who is in the world giving a product, a service, growing your business in some way, whether it's a side hustle or it's a full-time gig, think about your target audience and revisit today. If your message is clear, take some time to think about, name your avatar, What's that person's name? How old are they? Where do they live? What income do they have? What what do their relationships look like around them? You are solving a problem for that person. Think about that avatar and design your business and your brand around that. Whether again, like I said, you are reinvigorating that or just starting out. 
Hope this episode was insightful and enlightening for you in some way. And if it was, give me your feedback. Give a rate and review and let me know what you learned, what you loved, any shout out that you want to give to Leah for sharing her story and do me a favor and share it. There's somebody in the world that may need this today and you could be the person that gives them this gift of learning and reflection and growth. Make sure that you continue to tune in because there's the most tremendous and wonderful episodes that continue to come your way because my guests have really blessed my show with their stories of perseverance and helping us to learn a little bit something new about ourselves and our born unbreakable spirits. So remember, you are your only limit. So take action today and tune in again for the next episode of the Born Unbreakable podcast.